Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Rob Barr. Hello. Okay. All right. That was a good long pause. I had it on mute. I sneezed. Oh, we also have Bill Graham. It's time to get sexy. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, As it always is when we start a new Film Stage Show. With us today to talk about Deep Water. It's David Rooney. Hi there. I'm more than ready to get sick. In fact, I'm completely naked and covered in snails. That's in honor of this. I was going to say something about the snails. No, I actually couldn't find enough snails in New York. So all I have, I but I do have a big chunky rosy red apple ready to bite into as just a subtle bit of Adrian Lyne-esque symbolism. Mm, and snails. I have made a large pot of lobster bisque. <laughs> Nice. I'm allergic to shellfish. Nothing sexier than settling in for a big steaming hot bowl of lobster bisque. A nice hot bowl of creamy ocean bug. Yeah, just a good, thick, warm soup. Oh, my God. Anyway, we're here today, as I said, (laughs) to talk about Deep Water, the newest film for director Adrian Lin. And um, this movie stars Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas. And I can't wait to talk about it. It's out on Hulu now. It has been actually out on Hulu for over a week. So hopefully you all have had a chance to look at it before we uh, start to decide to talk about it. Before we get into that, um, David, would you like to introduce yourself to our listening audience as someone beyond just being naked and covered in snails? Uh, sure, uh, Brian. That's my main job. My my, my day job. Performance is, uh, artist. Is, my gay my, job. Yeah, no, that that is my evening performance art role. Yeah, my my day job is uh, chief film critic at the Hollywood Reporter. Um, and uh, you have been on this podcast before when we were talking. I have. I had the great pleasure of coming on to talk about Silence of the Lambs for an anniversary. Hell yeah! That was uh, a really fun episode. Another sexy cum drenched movie. <laughs> Mm. Uh, oh, I wasn't going to go there so early. In Mad the Migs. <laughs> You've gone straight to the body fluids. Yeah, that was I mean, the first time yeah. I ever read the words come. I was 12 years old and I was like, what's C-U-M? Did your life change after that, Robin? I mean, clearly there's the before come and after come aspects of my life. Right. My life is before and after Adrian Lynn. After, I don't yeah. even. I don't even. I, I can't even think of a good segue. Anyway, uh, super excited. Can't wait to talk about this movie. Before we do that, all the usual stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook the Film Stage Show, and of course you can email us podcastfilmstage.com or give us a comment rating on whatever podcast uh, app you decide to use. We can also be uh, helped out by going to patreon.com slash the Film Stage Show where you can give us your money and help to uh, produce more episodes. Um, your donation of a dollar per episode helps us to do all the cool stuff that we are doing. 
So again, you can do that. Patreon.com slash the film stage show. We are also brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film with its timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before. And there will always be something new to discover. One of the films that's on their spotlight, uh, they are exclusively showing Anne at 13,000 feet from 2019. Trapped in dizzying close-ups, this transfixing performance as a volatile antihero grounds a complex character study with an empathetic perspective on mental health. Anne at 13,000 feet confirms Kazakh Radvansky as one of Canada's most singular new auteurs. And that is just one of the 30 films that is presently on there. And uh, you can get a free 30-day trial subscription uh, by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial subscription to this fantastic streaming service. That is Mubi, mubi.com slash filmstage. Um, and that's that's that for all the front matter. Um, I was going to say, does anyone have anything to talk about? I, I know that the Oscars happened. I don't feel like we need to, do we need, we're not going to do like a. Uh, I'll just jump in and say, I would just jump in and say that Anne at 13,000 feet gave me an anxiety attack. So I'm glad that we're not talking about that. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to. I feel like that's an endorsement of the movie. Right. That is an endorsement. Possibly. Yeah. I think it was its intention. Yeah. But uh, yeah, deep water gave me no kind of attack. So I'm, I feel quite safe talking about that. It gave me a different type of attack. A sleep mm. attack. <laughs> An attack. A narcoleptic attack. A Ben Affleck comatose attack. A ben Affleck? No, that's not. What yes, that's no, exactly what it's called. Uh, I'll say something about the Oscars real quick. I was about um, to say, are we like, are we going to fold it into our discussion of the so, movie, or so do we want to? Like- I just, I just want to say this real quick. Um, I don't understand what the fuck happened last night because somehow they managed to cut out what, like 10 different categories and yet still the Oscars ran like 15 to 20 minutes over last year's Oscars. Like what the fuck is going on? If you've ever had a chronically late friend, this is what happens. Yeah, my family. They'll be, like, they'll be like, oh, I'm going to be five minutes early. What that means is instead of leaving now and just being early, I now have time to do a bunch of other stuff like clean the apartment, make some tea, feed my sourdough starter. And then before they realize it, they're like, oh, no, I'm 30 minutes late and I haven't even put my shoes on. And that is pretty much what the producers of the Oscars are like. They got rid of eight things and then decided to jam pack a bunch of bullshit in. Because they'd made room for it. And um, you mean like those truly essential Twitter Paul vomit moments? First of all, I am glad Zack Snyder, <laughs> Zack Snyder gets to triumph in two categories. Yep. The will of the They're not even categories. They're nothing. It's the bullshit. Mm. Right. It was, yeah. what was it? It was like stand up and cheer moment. And then. Oh my God. That was <laughs> wretched. Wretched. <laughs> uh, Minute Minamata. <laughs> people were talking yeah, about Mata, entering, the, entering the speed force all night and i liked you know the four hour long snyder cut fine enough but i don't know what that's referring to i don't either if you're going to talk about the four hour long snyder cut 
and the cheer moment, you need to talk about the mother box because the mother box is the best term I've ever heard in a movie ever since the dawn of time. I don't know what it is. I saw the movie. I still don't know what it is. But every time they said the mother box, I got a little frisson, like nothing I'd ever had before. (laughs) Oh, my God. But yeah. And then what was the other one? It was just like the most coolest movie. OMG or whatever it was. I can't even remember. Yeah. Army of the Dead. I wish it really was called. I wish it really, really was called the most coolest movie. Um, That would be a great category. And. I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know. All of that dumbing down of the Oscars, I don't think helped anyone. No, and as always, it is the unscripted moments that will be the thing that people remember most. And um, I'm sure we will oh, yeah. We'll get into that. Honestly, I was a little shocked when it happened because then I realized we were talking about this movie. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of crossover between what happened at the Oscars and what happens in this movie. So super excited to chat about it. And again, that movie is Deep Water. Uh, this is the newest film uh, by director Adrian Lyne, who is not... Well, I'm sorry, David, you looked this up. He hasn't made a movie in 20 years? Was that correct? Unfaithful was 2002. Damn, that's just, that's just yes. so long ago. Yeah, 20-year absence. I just completely lost your signal for a minute there, so I missed pretty much everything you just said, Brian. Oh, okay. Sorry. I was just asking, if because I know you had looked it up, and I was confirming that we were 20 years. Yes, it is 20 years since Unfaithful. Yeah. Bananas. Um, Unfaithful. A movie that I remember uh, the adults in my life talking a lot about. Um, And now mm. here we are. I assure you I knew more about that movie than my parents. <laughs> is that is that a good Is that a good thing? It's a truth of okay. my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we're here to talk about his newest film again, which stars Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas, and that is Deep Water, which is on Hulu now. So uh, check it out if you haven't already, because we are going to talk about it right after we listen to just a little bit of the trailer. Why are you the only man who wants to stay with me? I don't know. I do. That's good. Mm. Why is mom so different around other people? I think this is who she is. You love me? Of course. So that is the cryptic opening of the trailer for Deep Water, and I will now read the IMDb summary. A well-to-do husband who allows his wife to have affairs in order to avoid a divorce becomes a prime suspect in the disappearance of her lovers. Let's talk about it. Uh, We begin, as always, with our spoiler-free section, uh, and for this movie in particular, we will probably move very quickly through the spoiler-free part because this movie becomes fun to talk about when you talk about the spoilers. We begin with our guest, David Rooney. What are your thoughts on Deep Water? And uh, what is your kind of history with the the body of work of Adrian Lyne to be in, in general? The Irv of Adrian Lyne. Um, yes. My history is that I um, had a part-time job in a movie theater in Sydney uh, when his first film opened. So I got to see Foxes, or as it really should be cut, titled, Foxes, um, 
how it said in the trailer. Um, so at many times, and it was the kind of, uh, it was basically the Adrian Line version of Licorice Pizza. Uh, four girls in the San Fernando Valley, two of whom are Jodie Foster and Sherry Curry, who was the non-Joan Jett uh, front person for the Runaways. She had the blonde shag as opposed to the black shag. And, um, you know, things were not going to end well with her. She was, you know, she was a bad girl, drugs, sex, all of that. Um, a lot of the film was fantastic conflicts between Jodie Foster and her mother, played by the uh, recently departed but immortal and fabulous Sally Kellerman. Um, and it was a particularly weird and crazy movie with a very heavy uh, Giorgio Moroder, Donna Summer soundtrack um, and a lot mm, of other pop. Moroder. And um, it was a very cringy moment when someone one of the girls dies, of course, as they always do, and um, is buried under a peach tree. And poor Jodie Foster gets to close the movie out by eating a peach, saying that every year they eat a peach off that tree. And they say, hmm, Annie's tasting good that year. Good God, um, what the fuck? Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, that is Adrian Lyme for you. And I'm sorry if that was a giant spoiler, but if you haven't seen a movie that's 40 years old, that's your fault. I, anyway, true. I forgive I you. It is fine. I am glad that I know about that now. <laughs> you should seek it out. The trailer is worth a watch. Quite. I'll great. see it just for Jody. Yeah, uh, Jody's fantastic. Uh, she has an insane people. fight. I mean, she has an insane fight that's stuck in my head for some reason with her mother. When her mother is dating someone, her mother is single mother, dating someone new. And Sally Kellerman is in high hysteria mode, kind of arguing with Jody, who's doing her usual mumble thing. And... Um, <laughs> And she, and she says, why don't you like him? Why do you like this, whatever this guy's name she was dating? And, and Jody sort of says, he wears white shoes. And Sally Kellerman says, how dare you say he wears white shoes? And the whole tone of the movie is like that. It's absurd arguments and weird conflicts. And it's, <laughs> it's just alive and fascinating and trashy in a way that kind of hooked me in for the beginning. And, uh, you know, of course, Flashdance, big moment for all of us. Um, Nine and a half weeks, people having sex while emptying their refrigerator. And all I could think about was who's going to clean up the kitchen afterwards? (laughs) Um, Fatal attraction. A woman very angry with a hairdresser over a bad perm takes it out on Michael Douglas. (laughs) Um, He deserves it. uh, Jacob's Ladder for me is the aberration. And I know a lot of people think it's the good Adrian Lyne film. I actually think it's the kind of boring, earnest one because it's got all the lurid aspects, you know, the the flickering fluorescence and the whirring ceiling fans and the kind of crazy lighting and and, uh, insane. Yes, subway trains. Um, But it's not about a woman protagonist. His films need to be about women protagonists. Um, The men are always boring in an Adrian Lyne film. Uh, and yeah, so Tim Tim Robbins in that film, eh. um, indecent proposal. Demi Moore, of course, gets the main role, and Lolita was a bit of a mess. Um, Jeremy Irons actually not bad, but uh, Dominic Swain. I mean, the idea of remaking Lolita when you've got the Kubrick version there is, you know, in the Kubrick version we had Sue Lyons kind of licking a lollipop in those iconic heart shaped sunglasses. Adrian Lyne just has her. Straight up, go down on a banana. Um, Can I confess that I have never seen the Kubrick version? I've only seen the 1997 version, and I saw it when I was about nine or ten. And to me, this is like the paradigm for Lolita. 
like when I eventually read the book a few years later, I mean, this is, these are the characters that I saw in my head. Um, wow. It was Jeremy Irons for me all the way through. Hmm. Oh, see, I, th- I think Jeremy Irons is, you know, not an actor I always love, but I think he's actually pretty good in that. But, you know, there's a point in that movie where he stops kind of honoring the novel and, and decides, oh, shit, I need to make an Adrian Lyne film. So suddenly it becomes very lurid and overblown and, and sexy. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's not for me. But I love the Kubrick version. Love Shelley Winters' Lolita's Mother. Um, love James Mason. Humbert Humbert. And, uh, uh, yeah. And the, but, you know, after Lolita, which was a, a big a big problem commercially, couldn't get a distributor for a long time, too racy for American distributors and also just not terribly good. Sorry, Robin. Um, I'm not saying it is or isn't. It's just, you know, I was, that was my first exposure to probably him as a director and also to this story. So it's like it imprinted on me. Right. But then, you know, 2002 unfaithful, I think is a really good film for an Adrian Lyne film. It's, it's really classy. Diane Lane is fabulous in the movie. It's a great film about adultery. And which is, you know, of course, an Adrian Lyne special, loves anything, uh, anything extramarital. And um, it's, you know, a remake of a Claude Chabral film. And I actually think it's, it's sort of pretty solid, you know. Um, like I said, Diane Lane is good. Richard Gere is not offensively bad. He's fine. <laughs> Olivier Martinez is the sexy guy you everyone wants to have an affair with. Um, Maybe not you straight boys, but everyone else. <laughs> I, I don't want to have an affair with him in Unfaithful. I do want to have an affair with him in SWAT. Oh, okay. Just because of the way he screams, a hundred million dollars. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Are we talking about Xerxes? What? No, that's, that's, oh, fuck. What's his name? That's, uh, someone help me out. Rodrigo Santoro. Mm. Oh, yes. Brazilian, not French. <laughs> Quite, quite a different land to go. But anyway, so, you know, so Adrian Lyne comes back 20 years after Unfaithful, after a pretty solid film about adultery that was intriguing, dramatic, had some tension to it, had a really good mental performance. Horny, yes. Very horny. sleek, high gloss, luscious kind of studio um, sheen to it that, that we kind of miss sometimes. And, you know, I want that kind of high gloss commercial upscale trash from Adrian Lyne. Anyway, <laughs> he comes back with Deep Water, which I just found kind of lank and lethargic. You know, the movie never quite gets over the fact that Ben Affleck, who is raising snails in a hothouse out back, which is the only thing actually lit like an Adrian Lyne movie, except for the lethal swimming pool, which is all fluorescence and gleaming hot blues and things. Um, ben Affleck is like this lethargic slug he's like a snail without its <laughs> shell and he's just there in the movie skulking around and kind of looking miserable while his hot wife has all these affairs with dumb young men and uh i did think anna Armas was great uh she looks fantastic she's very sensual in that wonderful sleepy way that makes me very curious about her marilyn monroe in the andrew dominic film coming up mm, but, um, curious but like like in a Curious but wary. Uh, sick curiosity, not like a, I'm excited, curious. Well, I'm, I'm going to leave myself open to it. I have a feeling that's going to turn up at Cannes, and um, I'm sort of excited to see it. But, you know, there are some 
some things. I mean, Patricia Highsmith, first of all, is a fantastic novelist and a very, very complex intellectual thriller writer who it just goes into everything with absolutely forensic psychological detail. That is not Adrian Lyne's specialty, and nor is it Sam Levinson's, um, who's one of the screenwriters here, the Euphoria guy, the Malcolm and Marie guy. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just found this film shallow and dull, and it kind of plods through. It has terrible pacing issues. It feels disjointed. It kind of it just loses its life. You can just feel the life draining out of it scene after scene. And then I think there's been some radical editing happening so that a lot of the plot logic has been trimmed out. And things like the role of the Tracy Letts character, who is a a local author in this sort of little clique of New Orleans rich people who just seem to go from a garden party to a pool party to a cocktail party <laughs> and do nothing else. It's the Big Easy. It's the the city that care forgot. I mean, that's, Except that's, that it's the Big Easy without any atmosphere at all. It's the sort yeah. of suburban ex- external part of the Big Easy. The, uninteresting. The only time it actually looks like the Big Easy is when you see that bridge in the beginning. And and Ben Affleck madly cycling through a very Adrian Lyne tunnel, just like he's Jennifer Beals in Flashdance. Um, and, uh, you know, to me, this film is just, ugh. I lost interest in this couple. I, their whole, the whole idea of their marital warfare, the whole idea of something holding them together, even though she can't be uh, exclusive to him and she doesn't believe in monogamy. Uh, he wants to let her have her fun, but at the same time, he's jealous and obsessive. It's just nothing built to anywhere for me. It just kind of plodded on. And and, and at a certain point, you kind of think, no, it can't be this obvious. And yet it is. <laughs> and it goes absolutely yes. nowhere. <laughs> yep. All right. Anyway, well, that was my my rant over. <laughs> right. Yeah, It'll, Jesus Christ. Great. I'm glad you uh, remembered the movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't really know what to make of this film. Um, as I was watching it, as it was kind of happening to me, um, I'm, I'm struck by a much better variant of this film called Phantom Thread that I saw a couple of years ago, uh, in theaters, um, that feels like kind of the setup of this film. And then we get to the end and it's like, oh, uh, okay. So that's where I want to pick this film up. I don't want to pick this film up where we, where we actually do, um, which is unfortunate that it's not another, you know, there's not a part two or something like that. Um, I think that would be interesting. Bill, can I jump? Are you suggesting that? So this film is Adrian Lyne's phantom thread, whereas I said earlier, Fox's is his licorice pizza. So every Adrian (laughs) Lyne film is a Paul Thomas Anderson remake. (laughs) Maybe Uh, just just a lesser truly in conversation with one another. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I think the performances are fine across the board. Um, I think Tracy Letts uh, really has a lot of fun here. He seems like a fish out of water so much because of just the way that he kind of comes in and seems, as my wife noted, uh, not to be having any fun with any of these people. Um, so it, his, his involvement in this story is curious, but yeah, I think, 
I wanted to like this film. Um, and again, I think the last 15, 20 minutes of it are actually pretty interesting. It's just a shame that there's so much to get through to get to that point. Um, that just is kind of obvious and it is kind of, to me, it, it felt a little rote. So yeah, I think, uh, I'd rather see the next piece of this film, not this one. Do you so. know what's interesting? Um, Phyllis Nage, who wrote the screenplay for Carol based on a Patricia Highsmith novel, she mm-hmm. was saying just recently that this was the novel she really wanted to adapt. She would really love to adapt. And that's a movie I would like to see, not the Adrian Lyne version. I really want to see Phyllis Nage's version. Mm, of, of this. Okay. Yes. Interesting. All right. Okay, who's next? Robin Barr's next. Well, I mean, David, you pretty much covered most of my thoughts about this movie. Um, and in fact, I think you were, was it your review that highlighted that none of the storyline really makes sense in 2022? Because no, of because the- but first of all, you can't say to whoever it was, the, the, the piano player or the, the Finn Wittrock character, oh, um, Melinda's been trying to call you all day because they're going to pick up their phone and look at all the missed calls. That doesn't work now. Right. But, but also just why is this couple together? The, the, it, the exactly. Verse, the, it's exactly. not 1957 when divorce was terribly stigmatized still. You know, there, there's nothing to stop this couple from divorcing. They, they seem utterly miserable with each other. They have this child that is in the movie for no reason that I could possibly <laughs> understand. She's there just to be kind of annoying. Um, the mother has no bond with her. So we get, okay, she's a slut and a bad mom. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Ben Affleck is, of course, doting and, and sweet with her, whatever. And then, and then, I mean, this is not a spoiler, but over the end titles, we get this incredible long stretch of her singing a Leo Sayer song in the back of the car. And I had no idea why that was there or what we're supposed to take away from that. Or, you know, I kept thinking, because she was just, just more of the cute kid, just cute kid. Like she was cute in a precocious, slightly creepy way. And I just thought she, she are we hinting here that she's a baby Melinda? She really reminded me of uh, the boy from Looper. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't know. Like, like not only in like general demeanor, but also like the structure of the face to the point where I looked up to see if like this was that boy's younger sister, and it is not. Mm. Mm. I just think a child who's given that much screen time in an Adrian Line film is there to be threatened, and that didn't happen. He just mean, kind you of know, the, he didn't threaten the the child in Unfaithful. Well, I mean, maybe not, but the the child is there to be uncomfortable, to be sort of you know, somehow a, a, a wrench in the works of what's going on with the with the adultery and uh, all the sleazy stuff and the people having dirty fun. Um, and this child just seemed to be there kind of being annoying, playing old McDonald had a farm on Alexa and things. I didn't but get Annoying, it. not because she enjoyed it necessarily, but because she wanted to spite her mother, which I thought's like an intriguing thread there. Um, yeah, but I not mean- not taken anywhere. I, I agree with you. I mean, ultimately this movie- was very painful for for me to watch. Um, I was not looking forward to it at all. And maybe my attitude about it cut uh, created like a bias as I was watching, but it, I actually don't think that's true because 
ultimately what you're watching is like two hours of Ben Affleck just being a grumpy puss. I mean, there's nothing, he has nothing there and forgive me, Brian, but like, I have no, I get nothing from Anna de Armas at all from this movie. And somebody in the Slack, I think put it very well, which is she, she has natural comedic talent. She's a, a kind of goofy person. Like she has a lot of sparkling personality, but when she tries out, when she goes out of her way to be sexy, it just doesn't work at all. Um, and in fact, I found her extremely grating in this movie. Like I didn't want to like for as little as I wanted to see Ben Affleck, uh, go through, you know, his pathos or whatever. I wanted to see her do it even less. And, you know, as you were saying, David, this movie has almost like very little relationship to its geography, to its setting. I got so many vibes of like the, uh, midnight in the garden of good and evil, which is a essentially a movie about people just hanging out in Savannah being yeah. Southern and rich. And that movie had actually, and, and murder and all that shit. But like the, that movie at least had some flair about it. Like you got a really good sense of place. And here it was just like, put on your cocktail dress. Oh, I look terrible in this. Like as if Ana de Armas could look terrible in anything she wears. I mean, it was like mm. an absolutely absurd, uh, piece of dialogue that so none of it really made sense then you have the fucking snails like who cares then you're supposed to care about uh him inventing some chip that that use that's used for drones like as if that brings like a moral quandary to a movie about a, a literal serial killer killing his wife's lovers like which is clearly just, a modern update because no way bruce patricia <laughs> about people inventing Chips used for drone warfare. Oh, naturally. I don't think she prognosticated yeah. that. No, but you know, it, it makes no sense. You're absolutely right, Robin. That that element is is brought up with such detail, and you know, Tracy lets even kind of comments on the morality of it and what these chips are being used for, what these drones are being used for. But it's does it say anything? Does it tell us anything about Ben Affleck's character? I feel I like we know nothing us that about he him. He has a kind of ambivalence as to what his creation is used for. I mean, like he says, you know, yeah, but who cares? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like I I get what it's you I get why it's being brought up, but ultimately you have a man who's literally just extinguishing the life out of all of these young men. Okay, that's... For no reason. I, we're not even in my... I haven't even given my slight thing, but we're going to have to get to spoilers because he only kills one person in this movie. Uh, okay, well, it's certainly implied that he's uh, a literal serial killer. <laughs> Hello? Two? No. <laughs> he kills... Uh, let's... Two let's, words let's, for you. Swimming pool... And river. No, Swimpool is an incorrect assumption. He did not do that. Hey, I, I think I, the film shows us he did. No, I think, I think it, it shows, shows a a consideration of how he views himself. Do th- all right. I enjoyed this movie, and unfortunately, I feel like I've started to like it more as you all have been talking because I've been having to think about all the. Ways. You're a contrarian. I'm, that's why it's no because I. You, Brian, are you going to start? Are you going to start to see yourself as the Vic Van Allen of this this quartet here? I just I have to say his name, just because it's the most. I mean, I know it's from Patricia Highsmith, but still, it's the most absurd name, Vic Van Allen. <laughs> oh God! So I I enjoyed this movie. Um, 
I, I liked the kind of absurdity of it. I liked that Ben Affleck is like literally just kind of told like, if you want to be asleep in most of these scenes, that's fine. Um, I found <laughs> Anna de Armas to be, I don't know if sexy is the right term, but certainly game in a way that makes it seem as though she would attract these people. Like she's obviously cute. She obviously got a minor drinking problem. And I know she's uh she she but she's like a, a crazy little chaos munchkin that's running around looking to stir shit up and oftentimes that involves uh fucking guys who aren't her husband and i i what i liked in this movie is how it shows two people who probably have only ever had extremely dysfunctional relationships realizing the reason that they found each other and wanted to be with each other and the reason they've stayed together. And that reason is even more dysfunctional than what, you know, they assumed it was because the whole movie is about them finding out what they need from another person and then realizing that they've sort of accidentally found that in the person that they're with. So what does she need then according to that? Because well, I think so, you're right, but I still I could not put my finger on what she needed. Because what he needs is somebody to rile him up and yes. get him to that so, place. So, so I think I'm talking. What are you doing? Says, <laughs> she actually says what I need is someone to make me feel alive in a way that you don't. She well, needs she, a hunk she, of hunk she, of burning love, so and she, that is not Ben Affleck. No, because there's a point where she believes that he has killed someone and he says, are you afraid of me? And she says, no, because I'm the thing that you killed for. And the whole movie is her like talking about all these guys who've left her. No one's ever stayed with her. And, you know, obviously it's because she's not a she's not a good person to stick around. She's not married. She's married. She's not available to stick around for. No, but I, like she says, like also the, she's a really annoying drunk at parties. I mean, uh, come she's on, like I would hate real, that woman at parties. Like headache of a drunk. Um, yeah, but like you know, but no, because she was saying like even before him, she, there's like a line where they're like hanging out at the river, and she's like, you know, you're the only man who's ever stuck with me. And when he meets, what is he like a city planner or whatever the fuck? It's like they were in a relationship, but it didn't work out. And like, this is Ben Affleck is the only guy who stuck around. And so like when she thinks that he's killed someone, he says like, you know, are you afraid of me? And she says, no, because I'm the thing you killed for. And that gives her a thrill. But I think underneath everything, she knows that he didn't actually do it. But she's realizing like, oh, does that turn me on? Like, do I like that? I think I do. And he's realizing like, yeah, I could be pushed to the point where i do this where i do finally lash out at one of these himbos that my wife is fucking around with and then he finally does and it's good (laughs) and then they end up together at the end of the movie he he shows passion right right that's that's she she's been she's been edging him the this entire time like pushing him (laughs) pushing him pushing him just trying to see if he will react and snap and he finally does and then she gets a kick out of it which is again like spoilers spoilers for phantom thread but that's kind of in in a very different but twisted way which also no it doesn't involve snails but it involves mushrooms uh in a very twisted way Way, gross thing like, that French people like to eat. Uh, <laughs> mushrooms? Yeah. I love mushrooms. Mushrooms are delicious. Oh, we all Escargot love mushrooms. is delicious. 
No, I yeah. Okay. Um, okay, that's a large percentage of the population, yes, Brian. People like mushrooms. Okay, cool. I get your appreciation for this, Brian, but you know, I just like that Ben Affleck feels passion when he's wielding a rock at someone's head. Eh. You know, I just the character didn't go there for me. The performance didn't go there. He just felt barely alive for the whole film. And I could not get any read on why these two people were interested in each other, why they would stick together. I mean, yeah, sure. Nobody else is stuck with them. They're they're dysfunctional people. Their previous relationships have been dysfunctional. But none of that psychology is in the movie. I think you're giving it a very generous read. I Um, don't agree because I don't usually try that hard to read into movies. I feel like everything is is there. I mean, the movie begins with him, you know, kind of half jokingly saying like, yeah, I killed that guy. Ah, I like beat him to death. And the guy getting freaked out and him feeling like, hmm, that's kind of fun. You know, I, I, I hate the fact that my wife messes around with these guys, but now I've kind of figured out a way to tool one of them. And he does it again when he's supposed to apologize. And Why do you think he's making it up? I think because he's being when serious. they talk about the guy's body being found, they talk about the fact that he was shot to death and they talk about the fact that they found mm-hmm. the actual killer. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they found the killer. Say, and, and yeah, the, he, and he jokes. In the novel he too. Yeah, he, he jokes that he he didn't he, kill the first guy. He he jokes in the film that he would hit him with a hammer or something along those lines, and then they find out like the news report is very much like, yeah, he was shot to death, shot to and death, so and they found the guy. It's, and it's one of those things. Like, well, at least now you know, the, like all the the rumors can go away. And Ben Affleck's the rumor. That no, was I thought that was supposed to be like a red herring. Like he, no. they found like a killer but it's not necessarily the person that actually killed that one guy my my read of the movie is that ben affleck has not murdered a single person until he like bludgeons tony to death and even that sort of comes off like maybe maybe he wouldn't have gone all the way if tony hadn't grabbed that conveniently like not very sturdy tree to hold on to but he has Um, absolutely no motivation to do what like what's his motivation to kill that guy unless he's already on this all or nothing path because he's with her been, lovers? He's because Robin, he, he joked about it with the first guy and was like, that's fun. And I like the fact that I scared that guy. And then the other guy died in the pool and his wife is screaming like, come on. Did it. How did that oh, he fucking killed him. Did not kill that guy because he is talking with his daughter and everything. And he's envisioning what it would have been like to kill the guy, but he 100% didn't kill the guy. But now he's got, the feeling of having joked about it, the feeling of having been close to it, and now the next step is to just goddamn do it. And he does mm. it. He 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 inches incrementally towards it the whole movie. And so he he does it. It finally happens. And he's like, oh shit, that uh-oh. So, <laughs> like he did so not I respond was... to that final murder in the way that a seasoned murderer would respond. <laughs> I I, resp- I responded to the film the same way that Robin and, and David kind of did. I thought for sure he murdered that guy in the pool. But the more that Brian is talking about it, the more I kind of see those kind of steps. And I can kind of see how him getting away with it is almost like is for him. It's, it's this kind of thrill of everybody would clearly point the finger at me. I was the last guy in the pool with this this person right and he was clearly cheating on me or cheating she was cheating on me with him right so i have all the motivation in the world if you want to call that motivation Mm -hmm. uh to kill somebody and then 
you know, it's one of those things where he is just kind of going to get off scot-free, it seems. And then, yeah, this this guy just is such a dum-dum that he presents himself. God, I hate him so much from, um, uh, what is what is it? Um, not American Historian. history. What, no, the fucking... In which rock um, you're talking about? Yeah, god damn it. Um, from the American crime story? No, what is what is that guy's whole oh, deal? Oh, Finn Whitrock? Yes, yeah. He's in all the Ryan Murphy American Horror Story things. American Horror Story. When, I think I think his I think he was on the Carnival one, um mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, and man, he was he was so good in that, but I fucking hate him for the rest of his life because of that. Um, <laughs> also, he, he's such an ultra boy. he he's played a- such an ultra creep in that. God damn it. Um anyways, when when he, when he gets got it, it was kind of like wow, this was so simple and so easy to set this up. And what what really kind of struck me of how dumb it actually was what he did was that he wasn't joking about the fact that he and his wife like sometimes take mountain bike rides up to this area, which is like, that's, that's a dumb place to kill somebody, dude. If, if your family is like, Hey, let's go to the Creek or whatever it was called. I can't remember. They they called it something. Um, and it's just like, dude, you don't then murder somebody over in that area. That seems like a bad idea. Go somewhere new. You dummy. At least scout it out at first, I guess. If your movie is called Deep Water, don't kill somebody in shallow water. (laughs) I I don't. I don't really know what that's all about. Starring in and act accordingly. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, seriously, uh, just to backtrack a little bit to the uh, number two lover, not the dumb surfer dude who gets scared off and then comes back for grilled cheese um, because (laughs) but the um, the second one, the pianist. who uh, in the cocktail bar greets Anna de Amis with that's why the lady is a tramp. That was a very subtle music cue there from, from the great Adrian line. But um, first of all, Jacob Elordi, who plays him, is about seven feet fucking tall. <laughs> he can stand in the deep end of a swimming pool and no amount of booze or dry humping uh, Anna de Armas in chlorine is going to make him pass out and die in a swimming pool. So I don't buy that well, that's an accidental death. I, I can I can easily because they never sh- they never tell anybody in this film what actually killed him. Me, what I envision is that he thought he was being slick and he decided to jump out of the pool as some people will do, and he may have slipped and hit his head, and boom, now he's unconscious. Now he's in the water. Now he's dead. But why easy. do we not learn that vital information? And also, oh, because then it would ruin the mystery. Like, why, why would you want to ruin that mystery if what this mystery? is... There's no mystery here. Why like, did it, you it, it, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Robin, you can't say that there is no mystery if we literally don't know how he died. Like, we literally do not know. But the problem is that we end up being convinced that the police are really not that interested in how he died because they question Vic Van Allen uh, for all of two seconds. And they're like, oh, okay, this filthy rich kind of creepy white dude 
he must be innocent. So they just walk away and never question him again. I mean, at that point, the movie had started to become full tilt ludicrous to me. And then it gets more and more preposterous because the semi-isolated spot where they go mountain biking, we lose all the kind of narrative preamble to why Tracy Letts turns up there mysteriously. Um, So he just turns up there out of the blue coincidentally and it just it makes for for me one of the most preposterous climax climaxes to a movie ever i mean i thought it was I just because he terrible, was terrible following terrible for the the great great tracy letts being reduced to that terrible scene where he's careening down the down the hill in the car <laughs> no, Damn, autocorrect the and struggling to text. it's terrible that's the greatest scene um, the i movie. enjoyed it i enjoyed I it that scene will be on tracy let's reel of shame no that's I mean, gonna I, be the only thing they play when he dies and that's his oscar <laughs> montage it's just like let's all look at the greatest bit of acting ever done oh seriously no i i kind of watched that scene and I really thought about him and Carrie Coon sitting at home watching that and, go, and either dying with laughter or dying of shame. No, I think he knows what the fuck he's doing. He's yeah, like, she's this on is what Gilded this- Age. Like, she has no reason to be laughing at anyone. <laughs> Why are we talking about them together? Are they? They are married. married. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, he's like 80 years older than she wow, is. Good. Oh, I was about love to say, I, I literally thought you were going to say that like they were father and daughter or something. No, they came up together as Steppenwolf actors. And uh, I mean, they were in a fantastic production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf together. He played George opposite uh, Amy Morton, another Steppenwolf actress. And uh, um, Carrie Coon was Honey. I think it was her Broadway debut. And they were fucking fantastic. Tony, uh, Tracy Letts won the Tony for it. Um, But, you know, she was great. And they... I think it's a it's a great marriage. You read her Twitter feed. She's always talking about what Academy screener they watched that night and things. They they're a smart couple. And I, I don't think Tracy Letts is that much older than her. You get the He's guru 15, feeling from him. 15 years his her, her senior. 15 years. That's eh. Yeah, he's 56. Yeah, he's not that old. Um That's not so really? Wow, he's Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry, Robin, what did you say? I was just saying like if they're laughing together over the scene, she has no business making fun of him for being in this movie. That's all I'm oh, saying. Just because, because of, I will just say because I found, of Gilded I found Gilded well, no. Age a total guilty pleasure, I have to say. I didn't bother uh, to watch it. Uh, it blow, I mean, Bridgerton blows it out of the water. Seriously. I loved Nothing every happens moment in of, fucking Gilded Age. But every moment of Carrie Coon and Morgan Spector was just great. And I, who doesn't want to see all those fantastic New York theater actors? Um, just killing it in in gorgeous, gorgeous gowns. And, you know, I'm a sucker for the whole Edith Wharton's New York thing. Uh, so, yeah, it's Julian Fellows. It has all the predictability of a Julian Fellows kind of high tone soap operatic plotting. But but, you know, I like the actors. Yeah, you so- like Gummer number three. So they've both. Uh, oh no! She, there's she's another not, gummer. Not gummer three. No, no, yes. There, yeah, there's a third gummer, and she's got like the least charisma of all. Do of them. they just like Good reproduce by budding in like humid environments? <laughs> like what the fuck yeah, is no, happening? They're, they're she actually people. doesn't go by gummer, which is interesting. Yeah, they are pod people. So they, so both Tracy Letts and his wife have worked with Ben Affleck in movies where he may or may not have killed someone. Yeah. Interesting. So, Wait, uh, Jacob, Gone Girl. She was in Gone Girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she I plays his that. sister. Hmm. Yep. Uh, 
so Jacob Elordi oh my is God, six that's five. Who Jacob Elordi is. People kept okay. tweeting about Jesus him Christ. last night at the Oscars, and I was like, who is this tall-ass guy that yeah. people keep tweeting about? Because y'all um, ain't watching Euphoria. No. No. Um, but anyways, so he's six five, according to the internet, and Ben Affleck is actually six three and a half. I knew Ben Affleck was pretty tall because I think uh, I was overhearing him uh, someone talk about him filling out the bat suit and you know being an intimidating presence. And so yeah, they're, they're almost pretty close to each other first of all i feel like the term too tall to drown in a pool is <laughs> the greatest but also most insane thing i've ever heard yeah well I mean, he could have gotten I'm, a I'm a swimmer i'm a swimmer so you know I, I, <laughs> I well he's a piano to... player so what does that have to do with anything <laughs> yeah his fingers are strong but his legs are weak because he's constantly sitting no he'd be He'd be pumping the pedals on a piano. There's no way his legs would be weak. <laughs> pumping jazz, the pedals. He, he he has very strong calves. Absolutely. Anyway, he no. died and it wasn't Vic's fault. <laughs> so you say, Brian. Oh my God, you're like the Affleck apologist. I'm not, because he wanted, I'm just saying that the movie is clearly telling a story of a man who suddenly decides he's going to murder someone and a woman who realizes that she wants a man who literally kills for her and she's totally down with it. And this is probably going to be some weird kinky game that they play with each other for a long time. Okay. Here's my argument. Against Whether that's the theme or not, or the plot or, you know, the emotional dynamic between them. I just found that I didn't care at all. Well, that's like, there's ditto, no ditto chemistry problem. that I get from them. Like the scene of them fucking like was just uh, anathema to anything I ever want to see on screen. I mean, at some point she literally tells him to kiss her ass and it's yeah, like the least erotic thing I've ever heard in my life. No, the you least don't, you don't erotic like a man who eats ass. <laughs> it's not that he's no 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 it's not that it's like analingus if that's her thing whatever but like it was just that they have no sparkle between them it yeah. was just icky i think the least erotic moment is the bitey blowjob in the front of the car oh. <laughs> well i mean so let's oh, let's funny. be honest let's be honest we are not supposed to get a lot of erotic thrill out of them being together because that's the whole point. She's lost the sparkle with him, right? Like, like he, she is no longer infatuated with him. She's moved on, and and she keeps wondering why the fuck he keeps staying around, and you know because he won't show any passion. He won't get angry. He won't really do a lot of this stuff that she kind of wants. And so, you know, I imagine that she's probably done this to multiple men in her life that then blow up at her, maybe hit her, maybe do something like that. Um, and you know, the relationship ends, she moves on and then she does it again. She falls into these kind of patterns and he's the one that kind of hooked the fish. And, now he's just kind of sticking around and she can't figure out why. Right. Um, well, so I think she hasn't discovered polyamory the, yet, but therein lies the problem of the film that none of us can really figure out, figure out why, because Ben Affleck, the only time he seems vaguely interested in anything is when he's out the back 
fingering the slimy undersides of the snails. <laughs> I'm glad that you finished that by saying snail. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that is the point, right? Is Again, we are supposed to see him as this kind of just nothing person right now. And again, right? My whole point is I want to see the movie after this. This is not the movie I want to see. This is the prequel. I want to see the actual movie, right? Where they're forced to live together with full knowledge of his murders and... Yeah, fuck yeah. That would be interesting. That would be something that I can see, like... and and I mean, can you imagine the you know you think about breakup sex, right? And can you imagine the 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 fuck after you know murdering somebody? Oh, and murder, your, murder your wife is like, yeah. yeah, like your wife is like, yeah, I'm into this, and you're like, oh, okay, all right, here we go. So yeah, I think I think that's again, I, I'm not sure where the Highsmith uh, book ends and kind of you know where this this maybe uh ends as well but man i want to definitely an opening there bill for you to write a fan fiction sequel (laughs) (laughs) for sure and and come on more for the snails to do i was oh yeah the snails are just such a giant kind of uh, red herring because you know that they're all this talk about their poison and yet nobody gets poisoned by a snail they just sit there yeah, there just, was no like mushroom waiting to again. The, yeah, you know. the sequel, the sequel, the sequel's got to go. Walk around in that hot house, which is the only thing in the entire movie lit like an an Adrian Lyne movie. I, I, I didn't did, buy that did with the snails either because when I was on my honeymoon, our tour guide was like, "Look, there's so many snails. Like, let's get a basket and collect them so we can have like a feast later." Like that guy was not starving the snails because they were going to poison him. Well, I think that he just didn't want to feed his beloved snails to his wife's fucking asshole himbo piece of shit lover. That was which which lover was that? Finn Whitrock or I think it was Tony. Jacob Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because no, she she he never attempted to have like a nice dinner with with Charlie Delisle. Yeah, but that dinner, how can you ever come back from a dinner that opens with your wife saying, Tony is the first guy I fucked, first American I fucked. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it says how to clean and prepare fresh snails for cooking. This is the spruce eats. Snails that are at least a week from the water are usually safe, but otherwise you'll effectively have to starve them for as long as seven to ten days. Oh my God! So Robin's wow, honey Robin, tour guide was clearly trying to kill her. They weren't in the water. They had been. They'd come out because it was raining. Okay. They were. They were on land. I think you're. I still think you're lucky to be alive. Yeah. I don't know. Eva was a forager, so we could have been eating anything for all I know. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> you made us Eva like nettles. <laughs> <laughs> we had like fresh pickled nettles. It was wonderful. That sounds fuck awful. It was great. I had the most wonderful honeymoon. Fresh pickled nettles. <laughs> That's like some like British ass. Like <laughs> it just sounds awful. Yeah. I mean, it's very Harry Potter, but yeah, that, that makes a kale salad sound delicious, right? It was delish. Oh yes, you got what you need is you need to brine the nettles for a week before eating them. <laughs> Ugh. Um, anyway, uh, Dash that was Mihawk a great food trip. <laughs> doing nothing. 
Yeah, the same with I wish, Will Ray Howery. I wish um, Dash had what more are they Zoom. doing? Yeah. The two of them, you know, they're just kind of there as as Vic Van Allen's support team, kind of telling, "We're worried about you, dude," but they don't really have anything to do beyond that. They're I feel kind like kind of a chorus of like what the city. Thinks yeah, it's a bit of, of a great Vic chorus. Van Allen, they're like, "Uh, yeah, everyone thinks you fucking murdered a guy." <laughs> Yeah, your wife is like running around. Like, isn't it embarrassing? Like, can you please fucking stop her? I um, I love Lil Ray Howery coming in and being like, "Uh, Melinda's drunk and standing on my piano, and you got to get her ass down." <laughs> but then she makes the turn. She plays the song and sings it, and everybody loves it. And that's why she gets to hang around because it's like, yeah, you know, she she walks the line. But you're not going to have a time like you have with Melinda with anyone else. Sure. She she livens up the party a little bit. Yeah. So you know what? Knowing that Tracy Lutz is uh, married to Carrie Coon makes me a little more able to accept the fact that in this movie he appears to be married to Kristen Connolly. Yeah, she's much younger than Carrie Coon. <laughs> right. But hey, no, has okay, anyone wait, has anyone I, ever seen the French version of this film, 1981, with Isabelle Huppert and Jean-Louis Trintignant? No. Nope. I have not either. Uh, it's not easy to come by. I checked everywhere while it was reviewing this. Um, it's not in the Did you check the, the, the Torrents? Collection. The what? The Torrents? No. Um, I did hear from uh, Phyllis Nage also said that, the, that Highsmith was not a fan of the French film. So um, I don't think it's considered a major film. It's Michelle Deville who was sort of, you know, middle brow director um <laughs> and i watched the trailer it looked pretty terrible but it's it's quite young isabelle Huppert. It, it looks of some interest for the cast anyway and she plays the wife yeah she plays the wife jean-louis trentignon is the is the brooding husband and some no-name actor i'd never heard of is the is the um the main lover at least the main lover we see in the trailer i don't know how closely it follows the the plot points of the new version. So uh, what I don't understand about this movie is that it doesn't even fit like a classic cuckold storyline where it's not like he's, or maybe he is like, I, I just never got the sense that he's turned on by watching his wife engage this way. If anything, he's addicted to his rage about it, but it's not like a sexual fetish of his, but maybe I'm wrong. What, what were other people's thoughts? Well, my thought on that specifically is that that is the intention. I think we are supposed to feel that Ben Affleck is turned on by oh, betrayal, by jealousy. But I don't think we get that because Ben Affleck's performance is so lethargic and, and lifeless. No, I don't think he I think I agree with with Robin that he does not like this, but he does kind of like the the feeling of anger that he gets. And and that's why he fantasizes about drowning the piano player. And then that's why he actually fucking murders Tony. Or maybe that's why he just is a serial killer and murders all her No, he's never to killed anyone for Tony. Are you just saying that because he's inept at the rock throwing? I he, The way that he performs in that moment is not someone who realizes what he's about to do. Robin, if you're saying that this was an impulse kill, that he gets out there and thinks, I'm going to hit this guy in the head with a big rock. I think he... Um, but oh, wait, sorry, go ahead. If he goes all the way out there, why is he putting this guy in his car that he doesn't like, he doesn't want to spend time with, and driving him all the way out the fuck to the, the, the place by the river 
um, up on the, the mountain path and things. Why is he doing that if he's not intending to kill him? Why is he getting him out of town to a place where there's no cell phone reception and all of that if he's not intending to kill him? He's not going to take him for a walk up there. Well, I mean, dream. he's he he's uh, he might have been planning on just beating the shit out of him or he might have said, like, this is it. I'm finally going to do this one. But I mean, like, or it could he, just be intimidation. Like it, it could just simply be he's getting off on that because he really enjoyed fucking around with the surfer guy. Like oh, yeah. he like, really enjoyed that. Before. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, even the fact that like when he comes in and he's just like, yeah, it's it's just you and me, and the guy's just like, what? And he's just like, no, nah, I'm just fucking with you, man. Like, yeah. come on in. And it's just like, oh. And it, it, the real question to me, I think, is whether he actually knew that the guy was allergic to shellfish and still cooked the lobster bisque, or if that was a complete, or that was just something completely unexpected that just worked in his favor. Like, because I can't, I can't figure out which he would do because clearly when his wife decides to not eat the lobster bisque and then eats the grilled cheese sandwich that kind of pisses him off i think well, she's she has trashy mash, macaroni and cheese tastes as he points sure out. but and, but sh- i i guarantee you she eats lobster bisque like i guarantee that's that's sure. actually something that she does as well but she sees it as him trying to get one up on on this guy and in order to kind of piss him off she's gonna be like well let me have some of your grilled cheese yeah because i don't really like this she just wants to humiliate her husband because that's exactly again chaos gremlin type of person that she is (laughs) i agree with all this i think all of these theories all of these ideas actually make sense about the movie but the fundamental flaw of the movie for me is that it's an erotic thriller without any heat at all. So the central obsession, yeah, you know, exactly. whatever he is to her, whatever she is to him, the obsession just has no heat to it. Well, why it, do you keep it calling never, it an erotic it never actually, thriller? Like, because that's that's Adrian Lyne's brand. That's well, what no, he makes. J- Jacob's Ladder isn't an erotic thriller. No. Yeah, but he called it The Aberration. Yeah, well, that's, this the, could that's be the outlier. Aberration that's the outlier. numero no. dos. Jacob's, Jacob's no, this is an absolutely an erotic films. thriller. Like, I think this is a movie that is deeply interested in the sex lives of its character, but I don't know that it's attempting to be like sexy or erotic. I do think it's attempting to talk about obsession. I think he yeah. is obsessed with his wife for reasons that are never very well articulated, neither in the film, in the script, nor the performance. But, you know... I don't know. It drove me nuts because I just don't think the obsession is there. I think that the film is lifeless. It, it's inert. It's it's lethargic. And all of that is embodied in the Affleck character. And, and for that reason, the film just fails to me. It never really cooks. And I wanted Ben Affleck to be Glenn Close to... Uh, sorry, to be Michael <laughs> Douglas or to or Glenn Close to Michael Douglas's Anna de Armas. But, you know, that it just isn't there. Um, there are no parallels there because the film just lacks that fundamental spark that this type of thriller needs to have. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I feel like I, I see what you're saying, Brian, but ultimately you have a movie that hinges on its sex scenes. I mean, that's, I think, a big part of the draw. And there's 
which I find very sad is that there's no spark between them because weren't they a real life couple for about 20 minutes? Yeah. They were a tabloid like couple. Two years or something, yeah. but yeah, it, it was a while. Really? And yet two there's years? no, I have no idea. I mean, you know, he's been in a lot of movies with a lot of people that he's been an actual couple with. And I would say that they're not good at, I don't know that a lot of actual real life couples can translate that shit to the screen. And again, uh, not to be Michael and say maybe this film is bad on purpose, but <laughs> I'm not sure we're supposed to enjoy them having sex. Like, I don't I don't think that's that's something that we're supposed to enjoy. I think I think that is a weak attempt at them trying to kind of respark that energy. And she clearly is like, nah, this is not fucking working for me. I mean, most of the sex that we see between them is the flashes of of Vic's imagination as he remembers these torrid moments where he's, of course, fully clothed in all of them and she's naked and they kind of ride around for about two minutes. But I got nothing from any of that. I didn't get any heat. I mean, unlike, I can't remember who, was it Bill? You said you didn't much care for Anna de Armas. I did like her. No, I've never said that. That's No, that was me. That was I actually... Oh, um, I, I thought she had some spark to her. I thought she had had some presence on screen, even though the character was profoundly irritating. I, I also just adored her 10 minutes in No Time to Die. I thought she lit that film on fire for the 10 minutes she was on screen um, in Cuba. Yeah, she's a comedian. She's goofy. She's, um, to me, a beautiful face if you're into sexy babies, but like, <laughs> doesn't have the eroticism I think that a character like this should have. Mm. Yeah, I just I was grateful for her presence because I just wanted somebody to be interested in in this movie. I just thought the movie kind of slugged along. You know who's interesting? The daughter. I think I gave no. this movie a half a star because I actually really liked that little girl. And I don't know what was going on with that performance, but she was delightfully evil and i enjoyed I, it i did enjoy her delivering a cocktail to i think it was surfer dude lover <laughs> lover, oh, departing lover number one and she delivers him a cocktail with a really fierce bit of side eye she really kind of glares him up and down she knows these men drifting in and out of her mother's life are bad news um well, yeah i mean it was in i, I found trailer. that kind of interesting but it's undeveloped it's it's you know like everything else in the movie it's just sort of sits there if she was the killer, I would have been like, yes. Like, yes. Want this to I be get Mayor it. Of Easttown? <laughs> Ugh, that oh, was a terrible for... ending. That was a great <laughs> What the fuck is wrong with you, Robin? <laughs> no, she, that was a horrible ending. No, I love Come that. Come on, Mayor of Easttown is great. I'm I love sorry, it too. Robin, it's literally the ending that you just said you wish that this movie had. <laughs> yeah, that was this movie. That is that show. Oh, Completely different universes. This is ridiculous. <laughs> mm. Oh my god! I don't know. Like it's, I, I don't. What are we even talking about right now? I, I enjoy. I'm the, Brian. I'm just, I'm just convinced. The little girl. All of this, all of this is just can be traced back. Your, your staunch defense of Adrian Lyne in this movie can be traced back to some kind of preteen sexual fantasy um, derived <laughs> from Jennifer Beals. Jennifer Beals <laughs> taking her bra off underneath her sweatshirt. Have you even seen Flashdance, Brian? I have not, but now I wish I had as a preteen. Oh, it's great. I it's do great. love when a woman takes off her bra without taking off her shirt. It always strikes it's really, me as it's really very a trick. efficient. Yeah. It's really clever. 
Um, yeah, she also has a great friend who ill-fated career as an ice dancer, ice skater. She ends up dancing in a stripper bar. Oh, it's tragic. <laughs> You're like giggling. It's tragic. <laughs> <laughs> Deliciously tragic. No, flash dance is is great fun, actually. Uh, look, I'm all for a lurid Adrian Line film. I wanted to have fun at this film. I just thought this is the guy that made Fatal Attraction nine and a half weeks. Even the tacky, um, indecent proposal. Um, you know, I I just couldn't buy into it. I mean, I'm looking forward to him making a uh, a docudrama about uh, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. <laughs> okay, Brian, since I know you're itching to talk about it, what is your analysis of that connection? Uh, okay, so like I said, this is a movie about a man whose wife done him wrong, and he's not about to lash out at her, so he's going to misplace his anger and murder someone else. And I think that you probably can't look at what Will Smith did and his response of like, keep my wife's name out of your mouth after hitting a man without looking at uh, what the stuff that's gone down between him and his wife. And so it grabs. You don't know cleanly. that she was cheating on him. They like, literally, they... she literally no. said she had an entanglement with a singer and him. Like, that doesn't looking, mean that she cheated on him. him they could, they are supposedly destroyed. have an open marriage. And him looking emotionally destroyed has become a meme on the internet. What is uh, what does a meme have to do with it? They so again, I can't comment on gossip or whatever, but the prevailing rumor is that they have an open marriage, but they're not open to the public about this open marriage. Thus, they use their words very wisely when uh, speaking about that situation. I don't I don't necessarily think it was cheating. And there was a crack about something to do with their marriage earlier in the evening. I think Regina Hall made a joke about it. So I do kind of wonder if they're being served up on a platter at the ceremony earlier in the night kind of got Will revved up um, before that whole situation happened. Yes. But I, but I don't think we actually, I don't think we can reasonably say she cheated on Will because we just have no idea. Well, there's also history between the rocks and, and uh, Jada because of the kind Oscar of comment. Soul, yeah. In 2016. So that Did you just call the rock. Did you just call Chris rock? The rock. Yeah. The rocks. The rocks. Yeah. Yeah. The rock family. Yeah. yeah. No, the history, it goes back to whatever year, uh, the Oscars thing happened and and uh, Jada Pinkett Smith said she was not going to the Oscars and Chris Rock made a, a joke about, you know, Jada not going to the Oscars is like me not going to Rihanna's panties. I wasn't invited. Yeah. Um, it, she was doing a TV thing at the moment at the time, I think. And, you know, maybe that's it. I, I still, you know, the whole thing just felt so overblown to me. It felt so awkward. It soured the mood in the room. It brought down the vibe for everybody. And it was absolutely lethal for every every award that followed. Yeah, it was you a know. real Vic and Melinda moment. It really ruined the party. <laughs> yeah. And no one knew and, how to react afterwards. And the only acceptance speech anyone paid, uh, paid attention to was the 
god-awful acceptance speech of Will Smith that was completely self-serving, just five minutes of uninterrupted self-justification. And um, I'm sorry, but, you know, if you're running an award show and you've cut off Hamaguchi, the brilliant director of Drive My Car, three times. In he wasn't one cut minute. off. He signaled he was done and the orchestra was following suit. I think they, 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 mis- they misread his signal. They misread his signal and they they tried to play him off. But, you know, that that was that, he barely spoke for a minute. And, and this guy is talking for five minutes with this absurd mea culpa, which was. Yeah, because they're waiting for him to say sorry. <laughs> and Whoa. camera throwing to the poor Williams sisters who already endured the, the the tone deaf comment of Jane Campion a couple of weeks ago. And now they're having to be dragged into oh, this yeah, thing of woof. Will Smith's hasty rehabilitation. I mean, I thought the whole thing was profoundly awkward. And then just, you know, for the Academy to be tweeting out, we don't condone violence while the room stands up and applauds this guy who's just walked up on stage and smacked someone a half hour earlier i mean oof, it just it really kind of derailed the there's whole more nuance me. here like on the one hand you have uh, first of all we're four white people talking about this situation that cannot be disentangled from from race right, um, nothing and in this world race can be disentangled from race anymore so i mean like i don't think it ever could have I think race and the and masculinity and misogynoir, I mean, these are all things that are highly tied into it. I mean, Chris Rock made a fucking movie about black women's hair and yet had the gall to comment on an, a woman. I, I don't know. And then a lot of people are saying, well, you don't talk about this way about a, a man's wife. But like, she's not a man's wife. She's her own person. Like, it's so bizarre that we're treating this as Will versus as Chris. I mean, that's why I, I mean, Will oh, but it, it would be really, it's, it's easy. It, to, it it's be, easy to make that, 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 I mean, yes, but, but, but there are also it, plenty of people out there who talk about how, uh, that we, that black women need to be more protected. Um, that, you know, they're like most likely to be denigrated above and beyond any demographic. And so many people are applauding what Chris, uh, what Will Smith did, because he was uh, protecting his his person, his wife, this a woman uh, who may who may not have uh, been able to do it herself. I mean, there's, there's exactly so that's much- that's the point. I think that's the point where it's been- like th- th- we like it would be a hell of. It, it, what Will Smith did was was wow, that was crazy. But it would be like an ultra jump up if Jada Pinkett Smith got up on stage and slapped him for that, right? And I don't think we would see any, hardly any outrage about that. But that would be a hell of a thing. And it's just something you don't see very often. You just don't see women taking violence into their own hands against another man. Um, and so, you know, in in that way, I, I totally understand how Will Smith would feel justified for what he did. He was he was doing what Jada wouldn't. Right. I, I can't see any justification for getting up and smacking someone in any situation, public situation like that. You don't I have to. You don't way, have there to. Are ways That's... to deal with it. I think, you know, this was a surefire best actor winner. He was going to have an Oscar in his hand 30 minutes from that moment or whatever, whatever it was. You probably felt untouchable. I, I, 
I, maybe he felt untouchable, but I also think that it just would have been much smarter to just get up there, win his Oscar, graciously shout out to his wife who had been this rock through his career, helped him get where he is, whatever wonderful things you want to say about your wife, and then say she deserves better than being the butt of a fucking Chris Rock joke. And he well, said he could this- have, but that's not what like. You, yeah, we can like, go out of our way yeah. to say it would have been more graceful or more classy or whatever. But I feel like we're kind of beyond that. Like, like we know that violence does work against oppression. Like, I don't I'm not justifying it. I'm not um, I'm not oh, defending yeah. it. But we know that that gets results to some degree. And I I just felt like that during the conversation or uh, sorry, during the monologue, essentially his thank you speech, he kept chalking it up to uh, these crazy things that you do for love, crazy things you do for love. And like, I have heard that so many times from, from men who are abusers, not saying Chris, that I keep saying Chris Rock and not saying Will Smith is an abuser. I don't know anything about his marriage or his family. I don't want to think of him as an abuser, but, but, using language like i did it for love i did it for, to protect you it was for uh, your own vessel good. of love vessel of love uh, god has spoken to me all of that stuff it, i mean it was so fair, god has told a lot of people to hurt other people i mean i agree i yeah. I, I look at the but what i what concerned me is that those are literal words out of the abuser's playbook again not saying that will smith is an abuser but but using those kinds of justifications are what is what can be very triggering to uh, survivors of abuse. I mean, there's, sure. there's can so I just, much. Can I just add, though, that you know, clearly Chris Rock crossed, crossed a line. It, it, it was 100%. a personal dig. You know, if, if Jada has buzzed her hair for medical reasons, then that's or crossing she, the line. Or if she wanted to fucking buzz her hair. You don't have to have a disability but, to you know, want to do it. And by the way, she looked, she looked spectacular with the buzz hair. She looked amazing. Hair. She looked amazing. And, you know, but sure. Is that still justification to get up and smack someone? I mean, if you take a parallel to later in the show, which I thought was just as awkward and just as it maybe didn't cross the line quite so much, but Amy Schumer dragging Kirsten Dunst out of her seat and making her stand there while she does some shtick with Jesse Plemons. Oh, that was funny. The whole point yeah, of that, that was, was funny. Uh, I I, a lot of people funny. on Twitter I mean, were, were saying that, like, you know, Hollywood has a, a massive, you know, me is the, 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 the fertile ground from which the Me Too movement sprung. And now you have a bunch of, like, female hosts at the Oscars basically, like, they, they, basically they were saying, like, sexual harassment's not funny even if it's a woman doing it to a man. And yeah, I mean, like that. well, that's, so that's something Dunst separate because I just thought that. A, was but Kirsten Dunst has a career that d- dates back to when she was a kid. She's been. That was the irony. That was the joke. She has been making films forever. She has worked so hard to get to this point where she gets her first fucking Oscar nomination. And to have someone come and say, the seat filler to mistake her for a seat filler. It was a bad joke. It was a really lame joke. I found it no less lame as humor than Chris Rock's joke. And yet, oh no, that's uh, well because one of them is insulting the body to... of your life's work, and the other is insulting what your hair is doing, which is you know. She could have done it to fucking Nicole Kidman. It would have been the same idea. We all know Kirsten Dunst is is an icon. The whole point of her calling her a seat filler was to create that chasm between the icon and, you know, the seat filler. That was the joke. And also Jesse Plemons that... hasn't been around that long. Like that was the whole idea. But if you're going to start Jada saying joke, like, re- you know, 
jokes or violence or whatever people idiots on Twitter have been saying, like, then how do you start drawing those lines? Like it becomes a very personal thing. Yeah. As Kathy Griffin and other comedians said online, you know, we're just going to get to the place where comedians are doing sets. Comedians always walk close to the edge. A lot of comics, particularly with celebrities, which is such an easy target. Um, And we could get to the point where people just feel justified to walk up on stage and smack someone if they don't like their material. Well, that's I mean, why I, comedy and, and, has and as, into... as, Chris, as Chris Rock said in his own defense, when Will Smith shouted, get my fu- wife's fucking na- name out of your fucking mouth the first time, he said, dude, it was a G.I. Jane joke. I mean, OK, it's insensitive, given that, you know, she buzzed her hair because of alopecia. But it's not it's not that personal. It's not a savage joke by any means. And I think that the reaction was totally disproportionate. That's why I'm saying there's probably way more to the story than than we are seeing. I think we just well, see the surface of this. That's why I brought up the whole the whole. I mean, that's why it got tied into this movie for me is because it it is it is it it appears to be to be a reaction in that way of like there's a lot more bubbling beneath the surface that has led to this outburst. Hmm. I wish we could all get as passionate about deep water as we can get about the slash. The slap. <laughs> I wish the this slap movie had any passion <laughs> at all. <laughs> was that an NBC show or was that an oh, ABC it might have show? Been NBC, Brian? Actually, because uh, yeah, what was okay. an NBC show? The slap. The slap. Which was actually, a, a, it was not oh, very yeah. good, but it was a remake of a quite good Australian. It was an Australian. It's, it's a yeah. good yeah. Australian novel, um, quite a juicy read. And the 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 mini the Australian limited series was pretty pretty solid, very watchable. The the American one didn't really work. The American the slap yeah, it, the slap is is the premises someone's parent hits another kid. parent's kid, yes, right? At a backyard yeah. barbecue or something. Yeah. Well, the the cast in this is pretty sta- stacked. It's Zachary. Kinto. Oh yeah. Peter Sarsgaard, Uma Thurman, Brian Cox, Dandy Newman, Newton, and Lucas Hedges. Yep, it had a hell of a cast. It had a hell of like buzz around it, and people were talking about like, ah, oh, let's let's watch this. And yeah, nobody fucking watched it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was about to say, but um. Yeah, no, I, like I said, it, the, I, I think I even, no, I didn't tweet it. I said it in Slack. I was like, there's like a certain kind of beautiful symmetry that like the day after that happens at the Oscars, we get to talk about this movie because suddenly it makes this movie like kind of make more sense even. And what's weird is that I'm looking at the IMDb popularity ranking and apparently today this movie went up five places to become the number two most popular movie looked at on IMDb. And I, hmm. I wonder if that has something to do with this. Hmm. No. I mean, before you get reading off, way too much into it, know, Brian, man. I don't know. People are not that smart, honey. I think it was just right, anticipation no for this chat. But um, can, <laughs> before we completely get off the slap thing, what I'm just curious um, where... What do you think happens next with Will Smith and Chris Rock separately to their careers? Is there a stain? Is there some, does this go away? I I mean, Chris Rock doesn't work in film all that much. So like there's this theory that he's not very well liked. Mm. uh, And that's why he doesn't have a lot of parts to begin with. And also look at how well he was composed after getting slapped across the face. That is not the I first mean, time. Dude, I, I, that, that was a terrible he position knows to how be to in. And, a heckler. 
but his recovery was pretty pretty fucking impressive. I thought. I Maybe was very Will impressed. Smith is given. just weak as fuck. <laughs> no, did you hear the uncensored version? That was a smack. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, no, it was. It was, it was, it was a smack. It was, it was real impact. You know what? And like watching read, did, it versus hearing it, very different. Like hmm. hearing it, you're like, oh my god! Like that is chilling. Yeah, the whole exchange. Well, that's no. I mean, it it completely dominated the rest of the evening. Yeah, the it point was where, so well, of course it was. Barely pay attention. By someone, the time Liza as, Minnelli and Lady Gaga came out, people were still recovering. As yeah. someone on Twitter said, that slap took us all out of the Speed Force. Like it, like up until that point, like it was Zack Snyder jokes all the way down, and then that happened, and people were just like, "Oh shit." <laughs> Like, yeah. it's over. Like, there's nothing else that's going to happen. Like, why even continue on with the show? Like, someone just took a shit in the middle of the stage. Like, let's not pretend that didn't happen. Let's just leave. Let's just go home and cut our losses. I thought one of the interesting things in the commentary today was a piece. I can't remember where I read it. But, um, you know, I guess it's 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 tangentially close to the, the gossip part. You know, the whatever whatever the agreement is in Will Smith and Jada's marriage, as Robin said, is gossip. And I'm not interested in that either. But somebody talked about how um, during their long and pretty public flirtation with Scientology, that they had gone through enough of the training to absorb the lesson that if you are humiliated in public, it's your duty to get up and smack that person down and show your superiority in whatever way is necessary. And that, the, the piece went on to analyze how Will Smith initially laughed at the joke about G.I. Jane, but then turned and saw that his wife was completely underwhelmed and not amused by it, and then felt the need to get up and react. And it was very interesting seeing it from that point of view. I don't know, you know, I'm not going to judge, except to say that Scientology is a fucking racket and should not be a tax-deductible re- religion in this country, mm-hmm. but... All of that stuff was pretty interesting. It was a pretty juicy read in 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 I, contextualizing I think, the whole thing. I think one thing that's being lost, and and I've seen a lot of people mention the fact that it does cut to him. That you can see that he's visibly like kind of laughing at the at the joke, and then he turns to his wife, who is very much not in on the joke, um, and then this kind of exchange happens, and. I think people are missing a lot of nuance here. They are in a very public spectrum. This is broadcast to millions of people around the fucking world. And they're front row. He knows he's on camera. So for him to react like that is him reacting to a very awkward moment. And for him to react like that and then not immediately be angry. Well, yeah, because most people, when they react to an awkward moment, kind of chuckle and they kind of brush it off. And then he kind of looks over at his wife. And I think that's, that's what just kind of set him off. It was like, Oh shit, that was kind of nasty. And he's processing it. And then he goes and does what he does. Like, I mean, I, I don't know why people are suddenly like, Oh, you're a robot. You should process everything in, in 0.02 seconds. And like, you shouldn't laugh at something that, you know, a comedian says like, no, you should immediately know whether that's insensitive or not. And it's like, I think if you're a third party, you're allowed to go, huh? 
let me take the temperature of the room. Oh, yeah, I kind of joked that or kind of laughed at that. It, yeah, that's not good. No, I don't like this at all. No. OK, now I got to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think what's interesting is we are seeing this scene play out that plays out in bars in all sorts of different avenues all across the world that just isn't in public. People get in confrontations all the fucking time. And it's one thing that happens. And usually a scuffle breaks out. They are separated. That's it. Nobody presses charges. Nobody calls it assault. Nobody does anything like that. It's when people come back around. That's when it starts to get into the territory of violent altercations and assault and things like that. Right. This is a one time deal. Right. I mean, clearly, Chris Rock's not pressing charges. Both of them are rich as fuck. Like. the only awkward thing about this is that it happened on national television. If this happened backstage, we would all be talking about it. But but it did happen on national television. I I understand that's different in front of cameras. Like, Oh, I'm going to jump him after the show or something. He said, I know that there are no less than 20 cameras trained on us right now. And I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to sit down and then I'm going to shout some shit. He and also it, smirked as he was walking away. Like he he felt absolutely confident in his action. Just like Vic. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> well, because sometimes you do something and you fuck up and you're like, oh fuck, what did I just do? Oh and no, I think I think he, I think he felt didn't, he didn't leap out of his chair the second the joke was over and go hit him. He laughed at it and then, like you were saying, like kind of saw what happened. Saw that his 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 wife was not okay with it, and then he, I would I would say not calculated, but made a second choice with a little more forethought to go up there, and then delivers the hit, and then comes back, and then says that stuff. I mean, like it's it's still like clearly an impulse, but mm-hmm. it's not a a reflex. If that, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a boxer like you know, getting into a scuffle at like one of their little, you know, press conference things like this is this is something it took him a second to get to that level. Right. Um, It wasn't an instant reaction. The reason I brought it up in relation to this movie is because, again, there is something there to that that human concept of I will through violence enforce some kind of either ownership or proprietorship or stewardship over this other person. Mm. And this is the way that I will assert myself in a way that I have not and could not have done it previously. So that's where I, I think drew it's that. It's really interesting that, so in the Slack, I think you and someone else had referenced Will Smith as a cuck. And I, first of all, don't was... shorten it because when you shorten it, I sound like a QAnon person. No, I forget what you said, but like it's just a cuckold. It's cuckold. Okay, it's, well, yeah. someone else used the word cuck. Okay, well, that was probably. I'm not going to say who that probably was. <laughs> maybe that has... we all know who it probably <laughs> yeah. was. And and maybe uh, you know, obviously that word is very very loaded for lots of different cultural reasons right now, but I don't. I really don't see uh, Will uh, Will Smith in that way. Um, and I don't see 
this Ben Affleck character in that way, because I think when you're a cuck or cuckold, there's a... No, go ahead, because then I, it, I don't. Isn't it consensual, it. No, or am I just is, I was just about it? to say there is a a a kink community of people who like to be cuckolds. You know, that's like being a cuck. Initially, was I do like to watch my my person with other people, right? And and yeah. so that is how. But like the concept of being a cuckold is. Like, like, you know how a cuckoo comes in and it, it kills the eggs, but then leaves its own. And so then these other birds are taking care of its eggs. And then, so the concept of being a cuckold initially was you're a man who's taking care of uh, the baby that your wife had that's clearly not your own. Right. Um, and then it kind of went to mean like, oh, you're a guy who another man has slept with your wife because you know it doesn't have to re- resort in a baby or result in a baby. And then... As with everything that can happen to anyone, some people are turned on by it. So there is a community of people <laughs> who are consensual cuckolds and who like to be aware of it and maybe want to be in the room when it happens. And those people have very set guidelines and things that they have to follow. And so, um, you know, the, usually like you, you'd be the type of person who it's like, oh, my God, like, you know, your wife is sleeping with another guy. Like, what is that all about? And then it's like, I don't know, but I've never come harder. And it's like, oh, OK, well, if you like it, <laughs> that's on you, buddy. Um, but like <laughs> when so so but then because certain crazy right wing people are obsessed with masculinity and sex and ownership of other people's bodies, they turn the concept of someone being a willful cuckold or cuck into an insult because it's like you're the type of soy boy beta male god damn it <laughs> who wants to see another man pleasure your wife because you know you're not capable of it so then it becomes an insult in that way but i wasn't using it in that way i was using it in the semi-classical way of being like this is a person who's whose supposed monogamous partner was not Brian, faithful to them. And that it, and that lands up with again that red table interview where uh, honestly heartbreakingly Will Smith's like tears and his his destroyed expression became a joke to people, which I found to be super fucking distasteful when it happened. Uh, no, I find that really disturbing because I think he went up there with true vulner- vulnerability. Uh he was wearing his heart on a sleeve. I don't mm. think it was a performance. But some of the stuff that he said was uh, so self-aggrandizing that I where when um, during the the speech that's what we're yeah from. okay you mean that I'm a river to my people oh the, yeah uh, and that, that, that part um, didn't yeah. bother me but when he's saying well I was just protecting my family like I was well, he's my very wife. elaborately you know, tr- very tried to draw the parallel with what Richard Williams does in the film with the with with Venus and Serena and I felt that was a little. Um, it was like someone gave him the idea to do that. That's yeah, what it felt like. yeah. Well, I felt like that was part of that was the result of the Denzel Washington Tyler Perry pep talk that he had in in the commercial break. I think and, he did feel remorse, but he oh, just couldn't bring himself to acknowledge. Like he he was like dancing I think around. He felt it. remorse for the unease he'd created. And look, you know, the the bottom line of all this is uh, the end result for me is whatever whatever's going on in the marriage of of the Smiths, I, I don't know and I don't care. Um, clearly, there seems to be some history there with Chris Rock, and maybe there was friction there that was already brewing. Maybe some jokes at the beginning of the ceremony by some of the hosts had had sort of set him off. Who knows? 
But, you know, the, the bottom line is Will Smith probably should have won a Best Actor Oscar back 20 years ago, whatever it was, for Ali. He's been sitting, waiting for this moment, and he so soured it for himself. Yeah, he's so agree. overshadowed it for himself. I found that it made me very. Sad. I thought it was very tragic. I thought it was very yeah. tragic that it was like it was like an Orpheus Eurydice moment where he was about to, you know, clinch it, and he just he made a. He looked back. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 as though you uh, finally murdered your wife's lover. And went home and were feeling really happy. And then as a part of a fun day out, your wife decided that she wanted to go to the gorge where you had actually hidden his body. Brian, I'm in awe of the um, the assiduousness with which you continue to steer this back to deep water. Well, again, your devotion, your I, devotion to that film is is nothing short if, of heroic. I agree we that talking, the themes are salient. <laughs> if we were talking about turning red, I would not have allowed us to talk this much about the slap coming this fall on NBC. But it 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 ties in. Like this is a th- and this honestly makes it like when I first saw this movie I was like, yeah, that's kind of fun. That's like an interesting thing. But like sort of seeing Again, it's not a one-for-one one comparison, but seeing that type of thing happen on this grand stage in this absurd, shocking, night-ruining kind of way, it just, like, I, I couldn't get the thought out of my head, like, honestly, for the 24 hours that it's happened since then, like, you know, that there is this 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 delineation there. There is this, like, tether that binds them. Now, the real question is in this analogy, then, who is the Tracy Letts? Who, upon having his dreams of true crime stardom, you know, confirmed, allows himself to die because he was texting and driving. <laughs> well, it's not Chris Rock. Don't maybe text and drive, goddammit. Maybe it's Amy Schumer. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's possible. I thought she did great. Y'all yeah, I haters. thought all three of the women did. I, I, I don't hate her at all. I, I thought all three of the women did pretty well, you know, not consistently not all night but most of the time i think they did well i kind of i love regina hall so much i was a little disappointed that a lot of the jokes were reduced to her horniness Um, yeah Yeah, that felt unfortunate but also like let's be very honest a lot of that stuff is usually pre-practiced and pre like they are not usually going to put those people on the spot to be felt up and all of that stuff. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's horniness, but it's also like, it's horniness. That's actually like scripted. So yeah, I no, don't it's clearly shtick. It's not, it's not, um, improv, but it's, but it, yeah, it's, it's not sexual felt, harassment. <laughs> it was like, Oh, can we not find better material for Regina? Hall? Sure. Sure. It's better. I agree. Yeah. For someone like that, that, just great and wonderful. It's kind of a letdown. Yeah. But, you know, I enjoyed seeing them. I love Wanda Sykes. I love that she gets a gig like this. Um, you know, I, th- I thought they, they did well here and there. Speaking of more uh, often than not, I was about to say we like, we, we reviewed support the girls on this podcast. So if you're a fan of yeah. all and you haven't seen support the girls, check that out. Yeah. Great movie. She's a treasure. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't. You know, at this point, I um. Is there anything else that we want to talk about? <laughs> we have we gone through everything we needed. 
No, yep, I, think I think it so. tied in very well. Thank you. I don't think there's anything else to say about deep water, except I do love that opening shot of the river or whatever it is up in the, up in the mountains. It's a great shot. That, that sort of overhead, it's very sinister. There's a nice few notes of Marco Beltrami's score. You kind of think, oh, maybe this is going to be something. And then, hey, it's not. <laughs> Did you see it on the big screen? No, I saw it at home. I don't mm-hmm. think they screened it in New York, as far as I know, for press. How about this for being a Disney film? Yeah, a I'm lot sure of people. They were, they a lot of people. Erotic, erotic thriller is really on brand for Disney, and um, <laughs> a, a lot of people were really on like the shelf for two years. Well, I mean, people were really hand wringing over you know whether Disney would ever distribute a thing like this, and it's like, yeah. They have other arms that they can put this stuff on. Uh, They distributed Artemis Fowl, the Kenneth Branagh movie, which was way more pornographically, obscenely bad than this. What? Really? Yeah. I mean, no, it's not a sex movie. It's a terrible fantasy movie. They're like elves fucking or whatever. It is Kenneth Branagh at his most inept. It makes Belfast look like Citizen Kane. I mean. Well, it's black and white, so it already kind of looks like Citizen Kane. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) Artemis Fowl is... Truly foul. Huh. Zing. Now it almost makes me want to see it. No, you mustn't, Robin. <laughs> you mustn't. You mustn't. <laughs> Poor Judy I Dench. Do take a lot of- <laughs> Judy Dench is a kind of a space leprechaun. She's got this weird <laughs> little uh, green thing and she's she's you are not making around me want to see this any less. I and, yeah, I didn't mind that. And, and she I rides around, she rides around the underworld on this kind of segway thing. Um, Again, stop selling. I'm already going to watch. <laughs> stop making me horny. <laughs> I, w- I want to know. I want to know how much you get through. It, it really is deadly. I always take your movie recommendations, David. Yeah, so. well, I'm not recommending. <laughs> this is Artemis like an anti recommendation, though. Like he's. <laughs> I'm recommending he said a movie. I must have to watch it. But it is the kind of thing where it's like you don't want to go to that party. There's too much alcohol. The people are getting too crazy. The music's too loud. You don't There's want no part of this shit. None of the women are wearing tops. None of the men are wearing pants. You don't want to be there. It's just like, uh, actually, everything you've said sounds fucking awesome. Buggery, I'm in. Yeah, oh. I want to go to med school, the Citadel of Buggery. <laughs> well, none of the men are wearing pants. Just reminds me of Ben Affleck's great line to Adam Driver in The Last Duel. Get in here and get your pants off. <laughs> Who hasn't <laughs> want to say that to Adam Driver? I think everybody does. Oh, and I he, love him. He pretty much obliges. He obliged in every scene of Girls, right? Yeah, yeah basically. Like first scene great like sex show, wasn't it? have to say. It was a great sex show. I, I really enjoyed girls you know it started and i thought these are the people that drive me mad on the streets in new york every day why would i want to spend a half hour a week with them and then by the end of season one i was totally hooked oh see yeah. i like although my desire to maim and kill marnie <laughs> never ever well did. it never ended it only got worse and then she started singing and she was the, the williams was, daughter right yes yeah yeah, yeah. truly yeah, awful that. truly awful she made Anna de Armas's character in Deep Water seemed like a, a walk in the park. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I um, I couldn't get into girls. I like watched. I'm pretty sure I saw the whole first season, and I was like, yeah, if I'm not enjoying it by now, it's just. Not- I think that's a fair assessment. I loved it, but anyway, yeah, I loved it too. 
we're getting into all sorts of trouble here. Um, yeah, we're we're I, we're we're yeah. talking about all the cultural hotspots. We're talking about med school buggery. We're talking about girls. <laughs> talking about foxes. Both women oh, and like Robin. You, know, you need to show. go watch the trailer for Foxes. I'm oh, telling I'm you. going to. I'm going to. I, I just put it on my movie list. My plan it's, for the rest of the night is to do that. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Foxes. I'm going to watch the trailer for Foxes. <laughs> then I'm going to watch Artemis Fowl. Oh God. And something else is going to happen. That could um, kill you, Brian. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for you. Artemis Fowl could kill you. It's yeah, I'm not. Bad. I'm not. Pl- I'll, I'm not planning on watching any cuck porn. Uh, cuck queen, maybe, but not just normal cuckolding. Okay. Cuck queen is the female version. All right, let's get the yes. fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. Yes. So that's Deep Water. It's on uh, Hulu right now, so you can check it out. Um. I don't know that I specifically screamed at some point that we were in spoilers, but I hope you guys figured it out at some point. <laughs> Um, let us I think I spoiled in my nutshell, but whatever. By that point, we were like full deep. So right, we're it, we full were deep water, deep water in the deep water. Um, yeah. If you're gonna watch this movie, you're gonna watch it anyway. You don't really care about spoilers. Yeah, right. I don't think the spoilers really make a lot of difference to it. I wasn't like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. Um, yeah. And if you're a snail expert, let us know what this movie got right and wrong about snails. Um. <laughs> anyway. So this has been fun. Uh, super glad we were able to talk about it. Uh, Robin Barr, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about... Whatever you can manage to see in theaters. What did we decide on? I thought we were talking about Apollo we didn't... 10 and a half. What? What? Isn't that what Jordan said today? <laughs> no, what? Brian. <laughs> he said Wait, there's... Are you oh, serious? you're talking... You- you're talking about potentially doing the Linklater film. Yeah, I thought that's what we, just okay. what we were going to do. No, no, I, I, no, I got a guess. We're st- oh, oh, okay. Or, right. Well, clearly we have no actual answer to this. Nitrum, story. Nitrum. <laughs> I could not think of a movie because we were talking about like five. Yeah, we're talking on that thread, Robin. So join in on that thread and I see the conversation. Wait, you're, really talking about, think- you're really talking about Nitrum or Nitrum, however it's said? Potentially, uh, I guess. Has the two great Australian Davises, Judy and Essie. I know. Oh. And it has Caleb Landry Jones. And Anthony LaPaglia. It has a And really it's a good fascinating cast. story. The, the friggin' the Anthony LaPaglia, the, the primary character of um oh, what was that? Not cold case. The 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 one about the missing people, the FBI show. Shit. Now I can't remember. Yeah. I know I know what you're talking about, but I can't. Is I can't it without a trace? It. I think it's without a trace. Yes, it is. Yeah, I loved that show. That was a good show. Yeah, uh, he's he's a fantastic guy, and some of his best work is in Australian films. You know, people don't know that he's Australian, or at least part Australian. I mean, this thriller called Lantana that he did years ago was just great. Um, one of his best films, and I I think he's really good in this too. He's sort of playing against character, but he's good. I'd be curious to hear what you guys think of it. That film, by the way, is kind of the reason Australia has gun laws because yeah. Uh, yeah. My you know, father used to rail against it as a classic conservative. Do you mean you mean oh. the thing that the film is based on, not the film itself? The, the, no, yeah. he used to rail against the Australian gun laws. No, no. Yeah. I was saying that David said that film is the reason Australia has its gun laws, but it's not. The real life, the real life <laughs> the story behind the it. The production of this yet. movie was so fabulously violent. Yeah. That... People were so angry about Judy Davis. They said, we need guns. <laughs> 
Oh, poor Judy. Oh. We love Judy Davis. Uh, if we you would her. like to watch Without a Trace, it's apparently available on HBO Max. Hmm. I will hmm. not be taking you up on that. No. Well, I know. You got to watch Foxes. I have so you're to not watch digging Outlander. into the big theatricals like Fantastic Beasts or uh, Morbius. <laughs> mm, I don't think we, even if we wanted to, I don't think our benevolent Lord and Master would allow us. Mm. I the Fantastic Beast franchise is dog shit. So I have not seen yeah. the other two yeah. or three. I don't know how many other Fantastic Beasts there have been. So I would be there are two. Are really, there's two? only been two and. I That's thought there had only been one. I only got through 15 minutes of it no, on a plane. No, there was Fantastic Beasts. completely Beast refused to go near this one. And then there was The Crimes of Grindelwald, and now there's The Secrets of, of Morbius. No. This well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. It is called The Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I was <laughs> only saying the subtitle. Um, the new one does have Mads Mikkelsen, which is something. Yes. Which is an improvement, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. And Jude Law, maybe I think. Yeah, yeah he's, he's definitely in it. He's Dumble. He, oh, he's okay. Dumble. You know, his friends call him Dumble. Um, <laughs> wow. All right. So anyway, next week we're probably talking about Nitrum or Nitrum or possibly Apollo Ten and a Half, or that might be a different one. Clearly, we're in a bit of a jumble right now. Super glad we were able to talk about all this. Um, don't forget to go to Patreon.com/slash/FilmStateShow to give us your money. Don't forget that we were brought to you by Mubi, M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage. You can watch Anne at 13,000 Feet, which David Rooney described as, what was it? An anxiety attack. Yes, anxiety inducing. <laughs> so uh, check that out. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's about that. So let's uh, tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we are shouting in their ears. We begin with our guest, David Rooney. Where can people find your stuff online? Well, my reviews are on uh, THR.com, Hollywood Reporter, and my Twitter feed is David C. Rooney 1. Nice. That's, I love the fact that you had to do your middle initial, but then you still had to get... <laughs> I know, holy fuck, because Rooney is common as muck in Ireland. Right, uh, right. Rooney's like Smith in Ireland. There are 800. Um potato eating Rooney's and um, <laughs> and sadly the David at David Rooney is a, is a um, soccer player who opened a Twitter account tweeted once never tweeted son again son of a bitch son of a bitch well, has that fucking account there sitting there unused you for, should like, be like, able to get years. it I should, but I'm too lazy and, you know. Yeah, yeah, you would have to go. But, yeah, no, uh, if if they are not using the account, then, uh, and you are a, you know, fairly well-known film critic, you should be able to get a hold of that. Um, you would just have to message them and basically be like, hey, this famous person has my name, uh, is not using their Twitter account. Can I have that? Um, yeah. So In other that should words, be Bill, something. I need to tell them I'm a Twitter top and I refuse to be tweeted at <laughs> Twitter bottom. <laughs> Green or what is a blue check mark me, please. Thank you. Yeah. So there is a at Brian Rowan and they have never tweeted. What is it with these people? Uh, Brian, I don't know if you're famous enough. I'm sorry. No, I don't think so. You know, what's funny, though, is so I looked for my name, you know, just like in the Twitter search. And I found a Brian Rowan that is at Rye Whiskey, W-R-Y underscore. What? And I have to imagine 
that back in March of 2017, I got this and have just never no. used it and have now forgotten what my password for it is. You can reset it. It's probably just linked to a email that you have. Oh, God, but which email? Anyway, we'll figure it out. If I oh, somehow Jesus. Retake, wow. If I somehow retake rye whiskey, I'll start tweeting from that, too. Um, that'll be fun. But anyway, all right. So uh, now we've learned the long and storied history of David getting his Twitter handle. Uh, Bill Graham, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. I finally logged back in and uh, <laughs> just in time for the fucking Oscars. <laughs> so that was uh, perfect. Uh, <laughs> um Yes, the, the the moon is shown. Uh, so I logged back into Twitter, so I'm on Twitter again. Uh, I retweeted a lot of things yesterday. Um, that was fun. Uh, let's see. I'm on Instagram at Billstagram, and I am trying to uh, keep up on the Slack channel. But man, things move fast over there too. Yep, Slack moves at the speed of life. <clears throat> Robin Barr, what about yourself? Uh, as always, you can find me at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. That's my Twitter. Uh, you can also sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. And I highly recommend that you read everything that David writes because he is a wonderful writer. And likewise, Robin, we love having you at Hollywood Reporter. I love every time you do a review or a notebook for us. They're always great. Thank you. Aw. As for me. Um, <laughs> Nobody cares about you. No one gives a shit. I don't have. I don't think I've written a movie-related thing in quite a while. Um, but I do this podcast all the time. Anyway, you can find the movie-related things that I've written over at thefilmstage.com. Uh, you can find my uh, Twitter thoughts on Twitter at Brian J. Rowan. Instagram pictures of me, my daughter, and my dog, and some pizzas are at Brian J. Rowan. And um, yeah, go to inkwellwhiskey.com to learn more about the whiskey that I'm making over at Schmidt Spirits, which is at schmidtspirits.com. And I think that's about it. Uh, find every episode of this year podcast over at filmstage.com. And you will hear from us next week. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. And join us then. Hey,